Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm the Smoke Master General, Mr. Trey Debman. I'm joined as I am every week by Shane Reeves. So I think this is the first in cigar history where two weeks in a row we've been recording from an event. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now granted, last week's was just a cutting light. Right. And it hadn't really taken off by the time we started recording because yeah. we took the guest of honor away from, from those duties. But, yeah, it, it's funny. I, luckily, I, I guess, I don't know if it's because we have so few listeners or if they just don't feel like getting in touch with us when they're unhappy. But apparently the noise level hasn't been a problem. So I guess we'll get away with it twice. Well, I listened and it wasn't too bad. I, we hear it worse than what the yeah. listeners do in a lot of instances and all. But anyway... So we're from the Drew Estate event, the virtual event, right? now going on at Crown Cigar since they don't let them come in person. And, you know, I really feel for the retailer. Yeah, I do too, because that it's going to, especially when you have a rep as good as Kyle, well, who, who really pushes the box sale, who makes things happen at an event. You know, I, I, I think people take that for granted from time to time, just how much a difference that makes having that person there. And so, yeah, it's not going to be as big an event without the the company representative in, in person. Well, plus, we, you know, Willie was supposed to be at this event. Right. And Willie not being at this event, you know, I'm sure there was a sizable order had to be placed in order for Willie to be at now. Drew Estate, it's not that big a deal because their cigars are going to sell. Right. There's enough Drew Estate people out there. The Drew Estate cigars are going to sell. Yeah. But if it had been another company, you know, I, I could see... A, a it would have hurt a lot more. Yeah, I could see a cigar owner really coming down on a company about that. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about positive. And also, we are smoking the Herrera Esteli Caja China Flying Pig. So this is an event only. You're supposed to only be able to get it at events with Willie Herrera, and they were already here before they canceled all the in-person events. Right. So I managed to get us a box. It's a flying pig, and I'll, it's a four and a four point one three by sixty. Four point one. That's got to translate to metric. Got to be something like that. The wrapper's an Ecuadorian Habano. The binder's Honduran, and the filler is um, Nicaraguan. Um. My same complaint with every flying pig other than the feral. That's just not much cigar. There's really not a whole lot of cigar there. No, it's... Especially uh, for the price they charge. Right. But, I, you know, it's one of those things, you know, we talk a lot about how much the shape and size of a cigar matters and affects and impacts the flavor of said cigar. And I think the flying pig is a perfect testament to that in how it really does impact and affect the way this cigar tastes to the fact that I do love the Herrera Esteli ever since it first came out I've been a big fan one of the things I really like about the particular um, blend and the line is the fact that it was fairly pricey when it first came out relative to the other stuff in the humidor they haven't seen significant price increases like some other stuff around them, and so they've really kind of settled into a mid-range or a low mid-range price point. I can't speak for the Flying Pig because you bought this, I didn't. But so I do like I do like that they've become more affordable relative to the to the rest of the line. Well. Willie does not like to blend a big ring gauge cigar. You know, every time I've ever talked to Willie, he's talked about that. He does not like big ring gauge cigars. He's going to smoke a Toro or Robusto most of the time. So it's interesting when you take one of his blends and turn it into a 60 ring gauge, how do you how do you do that? I don't even know how to hold this. It's just that it just feels it's so unlike anything I normally smoke. It cuz the the the, the taper on the back end is is so is so short. I mean, it just right. barely... So it doesn't really fit in the mouth well for me. And it's so short, there's not a whole lot of real estate to hold on to. It's just... It's interesting. Yeah, it's it's physically challenging. It's kind of like smoking a cocktail weenie. It's a lot like <laughs> that, actually. And uh, so it's, it's different. But now the first, first draw, the flavor is excellent. It is. It, it really is. And that's... Yeah, and that's... That's one of the things that I, I do like about the fact that Drew Estate has started making flying pig sizes 
in all of their lines is that you can really, I mean, this is not, if this was a regular production thing, if it was something I could get all the time, I wouldn't pick it up. But when you get the opportunity to see what a difference it makes, it is fun. But is this not the perfect cigar for my cigar coupler? Mm-hmm. You could couple this, to couple a couple of these together and have a regular size cigar? I almost printed, so... If you haven't listened to last week's show, you owe it to yourself to go back and at the very least listen to the second half of the show because Shane came up with what he thinks is a billion-dollar idea. After we finish recording, I immediately pull out my computer and start tinkering around and drew up a prototype, and I came this close to printing it for you, but I don't have the ability to melt metal down to cast it. it. (laughs) So as soon as we find somebody who's got a smelting furnace, then I will get that made for you. We'll make it out of aluminum to start. Well, you know, we were talking about it after you left the store the other night, another cigar guy that's a long-term cigar guy that really knows cigars come in, and he said, instead of the coupler... You actually need like a tobacco tape, a tape that's made of tobacco that you could smoke. So that way you could smoke through the coupling portion of it. It would get real brittle before you could make, I mean, because it would would start to, as you start to to smoke through the tape, you're going to lose the lit end before it has a chance to light the next cigar. That's all all for engineering to handle. They need to work together. You need the coupler with the tape. Yeah, well, you almost need a, a an internal coupler. Right. And all, because I was, I was proposing, you take a Padron 1926, it's a great cigar, but it's a little short. Now, you couple that to a Baccarat, and now you're smoking the Padron through the Baccarat, so you, you've got more cigar for your 1926 I, money. I think you do it the other way, because this is, this is a, a discussion that happens in my house quite a bit, actually, um, and it came up today. And I, I am really good. It, let's say you've got a plate of, you know, country fried steak, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, and green beans. You know, this, the, the, the true meat and three, you know, the, the, the official meal of Tennessee is I'm concerned. I'm really good about holding back that last couple of bites of mac and cheese to end on. I like I'm going to eat my green beans first. You never you never right, leave, get them out of the way. Yeah, you, you eat the frog first thing in the morning, sure. right? And so I get the the food I'm least likely to enjoy out of the way first and then I save whatever's best for last. And so it's the same thing with this. I'd rather have the 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 Padron anniversary series to finish on. Because you're going to get the smoke from the back rat filtered through that tobacco. It would have to. Be, it would have to improve it. Yeah, I, I could only it, imagine. Yeah, it would have to improve the back rat. I think it'll. I think it would uh, definitely make the padrone worse. But how much on that scale? We'll, we'll get one of these made and we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll we'll get somebody to cast us one of these and we'll find out. Maybe a, maybe a revolution in cigars coming from the cigar cast. <laughs> But anyway, well, let's talk about, since we are smoking a Rare Esteli, a Hoya-type product, Hoya de Nicaragua ships Antonio Gran Reserva GT20. Okay. Can I... I just got to say something about this visual. I, I like the idea of this cigar. Okay. 6x52 Toro. All right. 6x54. Um, or the article I got says 52, but The picture of the box says 6x54. Oh, half will get your act together. That's right. Proofread, you sons of... Anyway. <laughs> it has a Oscuro wrapper and Nicaraguan binders, fillers, all of that sort of stuff. But, okay, change the label when you change the cigar to a certain degree because there's no way... It's got, a fo- it's got a secondary label, though. It but does, but it's the same shape box. It's the same color label. It's a different colored box. It's too similar. No, I disagree. I think this is fine. You've got a a namesake product that you're releasing a secondary edition, a special edition for. So, you know, these boxes are iconic. They're they're very uniquely shaped. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Suppository shape. (laughs) I guess anything suppository shape if you're brave enough. So... I'm just saying tapered on both ends. When they were inventing the suppository, the guy said, okay, square, no. 
spikes. What are you thinking? So they had to. So there had to be some R and D go into doing that, and it just happened to be tapered at both ends. Is what we came out with. Yeah. <laughs> to live in that mind, I swear to God, <laughs> I just. Anyway, um, no, I like the branding. I like it's the it's the same shape box, yes, but it's a different color. It's branded with the GT20. I'm not really sure why they gave it devil horns. Is that explained anywhere in the article? No, they didn't put it in there anywhere. Um, or maybe it's bull horns. Well, okay, I don't know. But so they changed the color of the box. They could have changed the color of the band just a little. And this may just be the picture. These may get here, and I may have no trouble distinguishing them from other any other Hoyan type. Well, it's got the Grand Reserve second secondary label. I guess you would prefer if the secondary label said GT20 on it. Well, I would prefer if it just had a little different feel to it. If I couldn't confuse it with the other Grand Reserve, fair enough. Because I'm going to end up purchasing a box of GT20s, and my wife is going to end up smoking them, thinking that they are regular ones. And I'm not granted. You, you don't have enough faith in your wife. At nine dollars and fifty cents a cigar, it's not the, the greatest loss. It's not a big deal. It's probably competitive with what the others cost, so it's probably not that big a deal. Now I love what they did on the tin, where they put the piece of ribbon across the top. Yeah, I do like that. Instantly, when you reach in your humidor, you know what you got. You know you got a tin. It also has a secondary label that that identifies it as the tin. Sure, but which do you see first? You see the little um, the little piece of ribbon across the top. And by the way, fellas, take that piece of ribbon off and throw it to the side. Don't. Do, I've seen people online just pushing that to the side and cutting the cigar and smoking it like they're pulling aside. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know the visual. You don't have to go there. I don't have it's to talk a family about a, show. If, if they used a V cut, right. <laughs> don't have to go and get any more descriptive. Oh my God, I'm doing that now. <laughs> Next time I get a ten, I'm getting a V cut and leaving the. Oh God, what has happened to us? But anyway, I'm just saying, take go ahead and take the ribbon off, fellas. Yes. You don't you don't have to reenact at this point. But I, I'm looking forward to this cigar, but I do I would like it to look a little more different. So from essentially sports, Michael Jordan scared an opponent with his Ferrari and cigar. I think Michael Jordan scared his opponent by being Michael Jordan first and foremost. Uh, but but I do love this. You know, this kind of goes with what we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the cigars and, and bicycles. You know, about the, the fact that cigars are not detrimental to your cardiovascular health the way cigarettes are. But because smoking has is oft maligned as being such a detriment to your lung capacity, that you see somebody smoking and you're... And they're still going to wipe the floor with you for 60 minutes on a Thursday night in Chicago. Yeah, I can see how that would be intimidating. Well, here's the deal. There is no how long's a basketball game? I assume it's 60 minutes. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> you might as well, might as well ask me what the color orange tastes like. <laughs> I just couldn't tell you. But the of all the colors you chose, you choose the one that has a fruit named after the color. I guarantee you, the color orange tastes nothing like an orange. <laughs> There's no way that my life would work like that <laughs> and all. But anyway, so you would think it would. And I, what did they do? Did they named the fruit or the color first. Which came first, the fruit or the color in that instance? I, I, I've actually heard that explained at one point. I think the, I think the color went first. You think the color was... So they're out in the, out in the field, two cavemen. What are we going to call these, Ralph? All cavemen's name was Ralph. Ralph says, well, we need to decide what color that is. He said, all right, let's call it orange. So cavemen spoke English? Perfect. The king's English. (laughs) (laughs) And And so the first caveman says, I call that color orange. What do you call the fruit? Orange. Well, that's just lazy. <laughs> that's middle management. That was the day that middle management was invented as well. <laughs> that's right. They were taking it. But anyway, but I love the vision of he shows up in the, what's a Lamborghini run? 200? I don't know. He was driving a Ferrari. For, what's a Ferrari run? 200, <laughs> 250? Uh, sure. Uh, it, at those days, 125. So he shows up in a car that costs more than most of these guys that he's playing against are making in a year. And he steps out, having smoked a cigar in that car on the way there. Right. And still smoking it when he gets out of the car. And still smoking it. That's just an absolute perfect move. And only a cigar could give you that kind of gravitas. It's true. And uh, I really appreciate the... 
the vision of him stepping out with the cigar and all, which Michael Jordan, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, who would you rather smoke a cigar with? Michael Jordan. Sadka Schwarzenegger. I mean, it, 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 gun to my head and force me to choose. It is going to be tough. I do think. I do think, Michael. I, I, I appreciate and I respect the heck out of Arnold, but there's something about smoking a cigar with someone who is revered as being the goat. Like, I think that's just so. Like, I don't know. I think there's something. There's something about that. To be this guy is. And will always be known as the greatest of all time in his discipline. That adds something to it to me. I can understand that, but I'm not. I'm more of a fan of Predator than I am of NBA. Well, so I was going to say, that you you beat me to it exactly. Is that you were brought up and you were raised on Conan? Sure. I w- I came of age. Patterned much of my life after coming. Yeah, I, yes. <laughs> I, I was the perfect age to be captivated by the six title run of the of the Chicago Bulls in the nineties. Like that, that shaped part of my childhood. So much like Conan and Arnold shaped your childhood. So I think I think that plays into our differences there. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's a very, you know, we've, we've had the debate before, you know, Steve Harvey or Terry Crews, who would you rather smoke with? I think at the time I said Terry Crews, but I think I've, I've changed that to Steve Harvey, mostly because I know where I can go to make that happen now. Well, I always said Steve Harvey, because I think in the middle of your cigar, Terry Crews would want you to do like 20 sit-ups or something. Have you watched him in anything lately, now that he's become an actor? He's doing a little better. He's a little less of the insane workout guy. And all he is—he is—you can tell he's honing his craft. Yeah, and all, which is a good thing. And all, and this brings us to our next article. So last week, the Field of Dreams game. <laughs> yeah, and all, I'm, I'm, I'm going. How is this related to that? Well, you gotta keep listening. You will find out. <laughs> so they had the Field of Dreams game. And they had the magical moment after Costner made his speech where the teams, I mean, beautiful cinematography, where the teams kind of melted in out of the cornfield. Right. And I was totally enamored till I seen them walking out with these big gold chains and medallions and all that junk. And literally, as they were introducing the Yankees, they organized them from smallest to largest chain. The first guy had a little old bitty weave on. The last guy's wearing a logging chain made of gold. It costs as much as Michael Jordan's Ferrari. Right. I mean, they totally took me out of the moment with the gold chains. And um, this is from, surprisingly enough, Texas News Today. It's not surprising. There's to a lot me, of guys in Texas wear gold chains. Oh yeah. Say, so, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking cowboys. I'm thinking, you know, I've the, never seen a real cowboy with a gold chain around his neck. Neither have I. But you, you don't find many real cowboys in Texas anymore either. True. But jewelry in general, oh man. You know, a couple of years ago, I was at an event and Matt Booth was trying to sell his line of jewelry. And I'll bet part of it's still sitting in that store. Oh, I'm sure of it. <laughs> and I'll, I just, I wear no jewelry. I'm completely unendorsed. I don't even wear, you don't a even wear a wedding ring. No, I don't even wear a wedding ring. And I'll, I've been married long enough, we know. Right. <laughs> you know. And I have no trouble telling anyone that I'm married. It's not, it's not like I need to hold up the ring to signify. Right. And uh, so the and for my and the reason I don't wear a wedding ring is simple. My lifestyle is not wedding ring lifestyle. I'm always using hammers, drills, nail pullers. Um, that's why I got the silicone, because I'm, I'm just as active in that regard, but I, that's why I went with the silicone ring, because then I don't, it doesn't catch on anything, stuff like that. But to your, I mean, when you posted this in the show notes this afternoon, you did it with the caption of, can men wear jewelry? And I don't think that is, is opposed to this article necessarily. Not really can, should. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any problem with men who wear jewelry. In fact, you go to a couple of the cigar shops around here that play more to the counterculture crowd, and you'll see a lot of jewelry. And I think there's a certain type of guy that, that carries himself a certain way that can, that can really pull off the jewelry look. That being said, the gold chain look is just, it never works for me. I think it's, I think it's an awful, awful look. Well, especially outside of the shirt, and yeah. and the guy with the great big crucifix hanging from it. What are you going to kill a vampire later tonight? 
I'm just absolutely, I'm absolutely opposed, especially in baseball games, when you see them running and their gold chains are flopping in the breeze. It just, it takes me out of it. It completely ruins the image of the sports guy to me. Now, when I was in high school, I had a, I had, it was silver, it wasn't gold, but I had a silver chain with a little cross on it that I wore and never even took it off. And I played tennis in it and I did all, like, so I kind of, I get it. It was meaningful to me and that was, that was part of it. It was also kind of the style of the time. Yeah, you know, the the 90s, the 80s and 90s kind of get the jewelry thing a little more. I guess it's probably a generational thing. But it's the it's the rock star with the leather bands and the and a couple of rings and the thing. Like I think that look works it, 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 as long as you're not Ted from accounting. I think you have to be a certain kind of... You have to look like Dave Grohl to pull that off. Well, but when you talk... Because I would love to be that guy. Not quite to the Matt Booth level, but that style of jewelry, oftentimes the understated, you know, leather and silver. But I just... I'm not built to write to be able to pull off that look. Well, at a certain point, you know, a tattoo on your arm is fine. A tattoo every so often is fine, but these guys that are tatted from their wrists all the way up to their earlobes, and all, unless you're a Samoan and that's a family crest, come on. At a certain point, what are you trying to hide? At a certain point, what are you trying to prove? I, I don't get it. And then you get the big holes knocked in your ears that look like you could hang a, a blimp from. You know, I saw a guy with his ears pierced the other day, and it... it because you, I don't know if you know this about me, but when I was in college, I had my ears gauged. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And, you know, even at 30, almost five years old, uh, there's a part of me that wishes I hadn't taken them out and let them grow up. Why? I, I don't know. It's just, again, it's a product of the fact that that was cool when I was a kid. I get, you, you reach a certain age where you become nostalgic for things like that. And I, and, and I don't think it's a bad look. Just is to me. There's just at a certain point, you your body modification is actually a form of self mutilation. Well, you're yeah, actually but it deciding. always has been. But it's self expression as well. I mean, you will know I have hit peak midlife crisis when I show up. I won't have a convertible. I won't have a new trophy wife. I'm happy with the trophy wife I have. But I will show up one day in here with a mohawk and gauged ears again, and you'll be like, oh. Okay, we've reached that point in your life. Time, time to get out the medication. <laughs> time to medicate Trey. Oh, I thought you were talking about the blue pills. No, <laughs> different kind of medication. D- different medication at that point. And if you've if you've got gauged ears and a mohawk, you're probably not going to be in a position where you need the blue pill that often. <laughs> you've probably took yourself from that. Okay, we're a little bit long, but i got to hit this article because I do not want to hit it in the second part of the show. Okay. Swisher sues FDA over September 9th pre-market approval. I so, think it's interesting to see, a, a comp- after all we've seen as it, as it applies to FDA legislation, or, or regulation rather, I think it's interesting to see a company go it alone. Well, so there's two sides to this. One, this is Swisher, this ain't... Drew Estate suit. Right. So they're talking, I'm assuming, about the machine-made Swisher product. Right. And uh, so I can understand that. I also like the idea of FDA having lawsuits coming at them from a couple of different angles. Oh, I do too. Let's spread them so thin. Right. right. Granted, they're playing with house money, so it doesn't really hurt yeah, Granted, them. at the end of the day, we're paying for the FDA to defend themselves against us. Right. The, the, this is this is when Britney Spears' dad had the conservatorship file a restraining order against her. Right. You. So I just had a wild thought. Now, if you were a politician that really was opposed to uh, tobacco in in the in the federal legislature, like the Congress, what a what a baller move it would be. And luckily, I'm convinced that none of them listen to the show, so I can say this without giving them the idea in the budget specifically to line item that tobacco taxes is how you pay for your to defend the suits to against defend your, your that would be that would be the biggest F you to the tobacco community oh, so, ever. See, I just had another million dollar ideal. What? Our T shirt, the cigar cast, defund the FDA. <laughs> That'd be a great T shirt. <laughs> I'll let you wear that one. I'll stay out of it. But anyway, so Swisher's suing the FDA saying that their pre market approval is unfair um, you know, 
that the grandfather, so there's grandfather products, substantial equivalent or pre-market tobacco applications. And they're saying what everybody in the cigar industry has been saying. You gave us a 3,600-page document, and you still haven't explained to us what you're looking for. Not only that, but, I, and this was my favorite part, Swisher points out that the term pre-market approval is oxymoronic, as the products that could get removed from the market by the FDA are products that are already on sale, and therefore aren't pre-market. Right. Pre-market would imply that, getting ready to bring them to exactly. market. So, it's an it's a interesting lawsuit. Um, I understand why... The why Swisher's doing it this way, and I do think this is a good move in the grand scheme of things because it does force the FDA to have to defend on a couple of different fronts. Yeah. And I'll be surprised if FDA don't try to move to get both of these lawsuits combined, which serves the purpose even better because now we get the definition difference between a machine-made cigar and a premium cigar. Both fighting on the same side. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm up for this, but let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about Hinky leaving Davidoff. All right. And I had a chance to meet Hinky, and he's a super interesting guy. And we're going to talk about tea and cigars. All right. We'll be back with that and more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from a man that smells like gopher sweat when he bluffs at poker, Trey Dudman. How would you know? I don't play poker anymore. <laughs> well, when you did. <laughs> no, I actually, it's funny because I told somebody last night at the poker table, it was one of those nights, and you'll know exactly who I'm talking about, when he had had a few and he was trying to coach everybody at the table as to how to play poker. And then he That said, could be a number of people that play at your well, game. Well, then he said, now they think that they've got my read down. I said, of course we got your read down. You smell like gopher sweat when you're bluffing. <laughs> and then I had to answer a round of questions of how I knew what gopher sweat smelled like. <laughs> well, that's, that's a fair follow-up. Not a bad follow-up, but anyway, that's just one of those things that wandered into my mind. How many people do you know gopher sweat would wander into their brain on a daily basis? You, you defy all characterization and categorization, so I don't think that that's... You don't think that's going to be an issue? Right. <laughs> and all, but okay, about cigars. The end of the Kellner era at Davidoff. So this article is from um, Cigar Journal, and they're talking about... Um, sorry, the, the, it just thundered very loudly into the microphone. Hendrik Hinky Kellner has been with Davidoff since 1984. And he found and ran the factory of the Dominican Republic. He was a friend of Zeno Davidoff's. He was also the master blender for Avo when I got to meet him. Right. I got to meet him down the road here at another cigar shop, and I'll always remember what Hinky told me. Shane, it's not hard to make a cigar. It's hard to make the same cigar twice. And all. and that was really his philosophy. And I, that's kind of reflected in Davidoff, because say what you will about Davidoff. Yeah, they're consistent. They're consistent. They're, every cigar, whether you love it or hate it, it's going to be the same every time you smoke it. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's a portion of their success. I think I think some people would rather have security than adventure. Oh, sure. There's, there's people out there that would rather have that security than the adventure of trying. Of Well, that's why, that's why you get so many people that can't cut it in sales. You know, that's, that's very much, you know, a, a commission-based livelihood versus a salary one. I mean, that that is the definition, the very definition of what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think that's a big portion of this, of the, um, what he's talking about there and of Davidoff's success. So we were having this discussion at the other shop last night after poker. So there's a shop here in Nashville. And this shop, when you walk in it, you're transported back to 1975 when it was built. The lounge in the back, all it needs is Burt Reynolds laying on the table. I would say early 80s, but yeah. Yeah, you're, the, it has never been updated. Right. The concept, but it's probably... And it was out of date when it was built. Yeah, but by far the most successful cigar shop in Nashville. Hands down by a long, by, by a lot. Yeah, by so far... The difference in a Padron in the Baccarat is the difference in this cigar shop and And everybody everybody else else. combined, maybe. Yeah. So 
here's the question. You know, I was thinking about it because if I if that shop was to come up for sale, yeah, and they they made me a sweetheart deal to buy of six million, yeah, yeah, a sweetheart deal of six million to purchase that particular shop. Your first instinct is, oh yeah, I'm going to purchase it, and I'm going to go in there and update that lounge, and maybe put some new chairs in there and clean it up, maybe fix the humidor up, clean the humidor up, but. It's having so much success. Do you change a thing? Yeah, I think that is not a shop that is known for being a place where people hang out. And so why would you upset the balance of what already works in the name of something that doesn't really make you any money? Unlike a place like this. This is a hangout spot. People come here for the environment, for the ability to sit at one of the eight low top tables and be able to work during the day or in the various different areas you know, they benefit by investing money into seating and that sort of thing and then he, he puts a lot of attention as humidor as well but so I think yeah I, I, I don't think it would be money well spent at that shop but there is the philosophy <laughs> of so if you don't advertise while you're busy you won't stay busy so how much maintenance? Now, that place has such a legacy, nothing right. could bring it back. Right. And uh, I mean, case in point, there's a cigar shop that came in. Now, it's funny. It's less than a mile away, but it's a 10-minute drive because of just what an awful part of town it's in from sure. a traffic standpoint. And, and it has not affected them one bit. No, it's, a, it's, it's two totally different products. Oh, yeah. What you go to that cigar shop for is totally different than what you go to this other cigar shop for. Right. And uh, so it, so coming back to this article about Davidoff, so you get a new, you got to get a new blender in there now. you got to get new management. You know, there's more management has left Davidoff. Does Davidoff need to improve, or are they hiring to find somebody that just is willing to stay the course? I don't know, because I wonder, you know, he had been... He, he's, he's already handed over his position as general manager, and he stepped down two years ago as vice chairman of the, the holding company, the parent company. So, you know, I think he's been phasing himself out of various jobs that he did in such a way where... You know, I'm I'm you know I'm responsible for the business operations. I'll get an expert in the business operations to come take over that piece of what I do. I've got this other thing that I do. I guess someone to put, it. and I think that he's doing it in such a way that he's going to allow them to to step up because you know in a in a company the size of Davidoff, obviously he made an impact. Sure, but in but in any company, regardless of what industry you're on, once you get up to that C level. I don't know how much of an impact one individual makes. Well, so if they called you and said, hey, Trey, we want you to take over Davidoff, but you must just stay the course. We don't want you reinventing the wheel. We don't want you trying new stuff. We want you to stay the course. Because Davidoff, not known for revolutionary new stuff. They're not a Drew Estate who's going to try new stuff, you know. And I'm not just talking about Drew Estate's acid. I'm talking about, like, the Nicarustica was a new concept. Exactly. And um, could you take that job on? I don't think I could take a job on where they said, here you are, we're going to pay you a lot of money just to stay the course. Absolutely, I'll take an RB. Because, and this is, you and I talk about this often, most of the time when the mics aren't hot. One of my biggest criticisms of large businesses is that they do not understand the concept of enough is enough. Davidoff is one of the most successful cigar brands in the industry. They don't have to continue to innovate to keep their position. They they have to keep making a product like the one they're known for, you know, which is very smooth. It takes a long time to get from seed to seed to humidor. You know, they they age a long time. They make really they blend for smoothness and consistency, they don't go for the trends of adding Sumatra to everything or adding, you know, no, an orange Nicaraguan or, and, you know. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things that, like, yeah, the, the idea of a company just saying, look, we're making plenty of money. 
as a company. So as long as we're not going backwards, we're winning. I, I, wish, I wish more companies would operate that way. But at a certain point, life's a journey. If you're not moving forward, you're getting left behind. Yep. It's a, life is not prone to homeostasis. No, but it's... But imagine, let's say, let's say the head of Davidoff is making $2 million a year. Just running off a number. I have no idea how close to accurate that is. You know, yes, you can, you know, there's a certain amount of homeostasis that, it, you know, of just doing the same thing day in after day. And, and one could argue, are you really worth that money if you're not making anything different or whatever? But as a person... How much more can you do with your life? How much more can you do for others? How much? So it, it frees if you're not constantly under the hammer of more, more, more. You can find more fulfillment in other. You know, Americans have such a perverted view of you know self and occupation. You know, we we intrinsically tie our self worth, our value, and our identity into the jobs that we do, and it's a very uniquely American thing. And so I think this idea of you, just because you're homeostatic in the amount of money you earn or in the company you run doesn't necessarily mean that you as a person are stagnant. But one of the most satisfying parts of my life, and I, and I hate to brag, is... Since when? Well, okay. <laughs> but I am one of the very best at designing home plans. People come from all over the country to ask me to design their home. Mm-hmm. I know when I step up to the plate that I'm going to that I'm I'm one of the very best. And if I was in a job where, you know, like I've been in before where I was just maintaining a plan library for a giant builder, I was making good money and it was a lot easier than what I do now. But there was no joy. There was no satisfaction. There was, I was never going to work at that company and reach the point that I am now that I could say I am the best. That's, well, that's true. But Davidoff could already argue that they are the best. And they've reached that, that milestone, that point. And again, you, you and I have talked about this off, off the air, about the fact that like, as a company, though, you have reached that point, and you have for the last several years of being, you You make the money you make, you draw the plans you draw, you do, you work your system, you do your thing, and you have not really changed or updated or upgraded outside of, you know, bringing a side gig on. You haven't really, I mean, so no, I th- what you have improved is your quality of life because now you're able to reap rather than sow. But I always take on projects Every year I take on a number of projects that I know I'm not going to make good money on that are normally ones I would turn around, turn away just because it's going to improve my skill set. There's always somebody that comes in with something unique that normally I would just say, no, nah, I ain't going to fool with it, that I say, no, for me as an individual, as a human being, I need to take on this project regardless of how much money I make on it. For sure. But, but by that token, I mean, Davidoff still releases new blends every year. I mean, they're not... You know, they're not shaking up the industry. They're not doing things new and innovative, but they're still they're still growing. They're, st- they're not being completely static. Well, the bigger point, it's interesting to think about um, when you, you know, self-reflection is the backbone of a happy life. Being able to look at yourself and being able to understand yourself is one of the key elements to having a happy life. And it, this conversation kind of leads you to think that you got to ask that question. Are you the kind of person that could be hired just to stay the course? Or are you the kind of person that could never be happy doing that? Yeah. And I, I but, and, and it's one of those, it's one of those questions that doesn't have a right answer. Oh, yeah, neither one's wrong. Yeah. Neither, neither person is in the wrong. Hey, if somebody is happy, just staying the course, just holding a firm hand on the rudder and heading due north, more power to them. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that person, and I wouldn't try to convince them to come over to my side. But I know for me personally, that would be, oh, I would hate it. I would yeah. be miserable beyond words. But it's interesting seeing that difference in the two of us, but also knowing that we have another inherent difference in the way we live, which is that the day 
when the day comes that you don't have to work, you'll never work again. Absolutely. Meanwhile, I, I know for a fact I will never retire. Now, I don't have to necessarily continue making more and more and more money, but I also know that I don't like being idle. I like, I like new experiences. And I like, so I, you know, I don't know if I've said it on the show before, but I, I already know exactly what I'm going to do the day I retire, a week after I retire, I'm going to go be a bellboy at a four star hotel. Like, that's just, I, I've, I've known for the last 10 years that's what I want to do as my retirement plan. Yeah, see, my retirement plan involves me doing other things for other people at my pace, not doing things for people at their pace. You know, I a lot, most of my business is doing things for people at their pace. See, whereas I need something that I can't be late for. You know, I, I like having things on the schedule. I like having things at appointments. Uh, you know, so having a, a part-time three-day-a-week shift where I have to show up and I have to be there, that that sharpens the axe for me. Well, it's, it's, it's part of life that you have to decide who you are. Yeah. And knowing who you are in that instance is very important. So let's step away to our next article. All right. Because I, I want to hit this one because I don't want us to run out of time. So the leaves are grown under shade, harvested by hand. Only the best raw material goes on to fermentation before it's carefully heated and enjoyed. Sounds like a cigar. We're talking about tea, and it's something we don't talk about on the show very often because neither one of us are big tea drinkers. You're probably an iced tea guy. I'm an iced tea guy, and I'm a hot tea when I deer hunt. Okay. I always carry a thermos full of hot tea when I deer hunt of chai. Yeah. And all because it gives me that little bit of caffeine and that little bit of warmth when I'm sitting in the deer stand. I I go through phases with tea drinking, but I always have tea at the house. And I it, even though I am a coffee first kind of person, I do love hot tea. And so when I came across this article today, so we're we're getting ready to move, and so half the house is boxed up and in storage, and we're getting all this. So. Uh, I, I've, I've not been shy about the fact on this show before, the fact that I have about seven different methods for making coffee that I own or, and have in my house. Well, I'm down to one because that was the first thing to go in the box. Like, no, you don't need this many ways to eat, make coffee. We'll get by. So I, I'm left with no way to make a single cup of coffee. Do you keep the French press? Yeah, that's all I can. Right. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, you know, so all I have at the house is a French press, which is great, but it makes a quart of coffee at a time. And in the afternoon, I don't want that much coffee. It's not going to keep me up at night, but it's just by that point, my palate's a little fatigued because I drink two of those in the morning. So I, I don't think three quarters of a gallon of coffee is healthy for anybody, even sure. though I still have a resting heart rate of 52. But it's just too much. So I, so I came across this article today. I was like, man. That sounds good. So I went, and I actually made tea and brought it with me today, and I'm really glad I did. It is such a good pair with a cigar. You know, I rarely ever drink tea with a cigar, but I don't drink a lot of tea. And I'll, if I do, you know, I'll drink iced tea in a restaurant as long as it don't come out of a fountain. Right. Now, hold on. we got to take a minute and break down tea. <laughs> you I, and I are going to disagree. I despise the tea bag. Okay. I despise the concept of the tea bag. If I'm going to make tea and I'll, I'm going to use a strainer or a ball or I'm going, I'm going to actually put leaves to water with nothing interfering between them. And I'll, I despise the tea bag. But the tea bag doesn't affect the water's ability to permeate. It's not that. It's the the blase fair nature of drop and the most pretentious thing in the world is the person that opens the lacquered wood box with their selection of tea bags like here how would you, which one would you like the first time i ordered hot tea in a restaurant they presented me with that and i was like I, 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 no i'll have a cigar after thank you oh wait no this is <laughs> yeah yeah, the, the person that presents the tea bags in that is just absolutely the. So I'm a, if I'm going to have tea, if I'm going to make tea, I'm not going to use a bag. I'm going to use my teapot. I have an iron teapot that I love. It has a strainer in it. I put my tea leaves in there. I put my water in there, and I brew a pot of tea. I, I do like 
tea in a French press. I don't use the same French press for coffee and tea because that just you'll you never no matter how well you clean it right. you don't get the coffee flavor out. So I I do like tea made that way, but I don't have any problem with the tea bag. Yeah, I'm anti-tea bag. And I, I just don't think that that's a great way to do it. But it's interesting because people always talk about cigars and alcohol. Right. That's always, oh, this goes good with a bourbon or a cognac or a scotch or anything like that. And I can say never has anyone said to me, oh, this goes good with a cup of hot tea. Yeah, but I think it's because, you know, in, in cigar shops all around the country, you've got some that serve coffee. You've got a lot that serve beer. And you've got some that serve alcohol, uh, spirits, liquor. I don't think... With the exception, I, I'm going to guess that there are five cigar shops in the entire country where you can get a cup of hot tea at the shop. So the shop that we were talking about earlier happens to be next door to a Starbucks. How often does a person go into that Starbucks and get a cup of tea and come back to the cigar shop? I, I've seen it. That's does actually it? the one place I've seen it. I, I've never seen it. I mean, that makes sense. I don't think that if you had a cigar lounge and you had a tea bar next door that there would be much crossover business right. between the two. I actually used to know a guy who owned a, a, a cigar shop it, right next to a Tivana. They were in a little strip right. center. And they were, and it wasn't even a cigar shop where you could smoke inside. And they got banned for life from the Tivana. <laughs> For what? Bringing a cigar? <laughs> so it, the story, as I recall, was that basically there were a couple of young guys that worked at the tea shop who appreciated the cigar. And so they would often trade cups of tea for cigars. Well, apparently the owner didn't know that that's how this worked. <laughs> and so they came in one day when the owner was there for their free cup of tea to, to pay by a cigar. And they actually, because Tiva, or maybe it wasn't the owner, maybe it was the manager. I don't remember if Tivana was a franchise or if they were all company stores. But either way, they like they ended up with their mug shots plastered <laughs> on the back wall of all the Tivanas in the greater Atlanta area. And that's funny because every Tivana I've ever been into, the guy working behind the counter, there's no way he was a cigar guy. He is the mohawk with the gauge earrings guy. <laughs> You're going to the wrong cigar shops. I see that guy in cigar shops all over the place. Well, that's that's probably indicative of our lives. Fair point. <laughs> the kind of the kind of areas we tend to gravitate to. So, but yeah, I think I you would think cigars and tea. And reading this article really brings that home with the first line that you said. Tea and cigars treated very much the same in the way they're made. Yeah, and they're both, and it's it's funny because, you know, cigars and wine get talked about a lot in the same breath because of how similar they are in the fact that region and field and all of these things that go into changing the flavor and the profile of a cigar, that, that yeah, there's... Um, but I think I think tea also falls into that category. There's tons of different blends. There's it, there's different you know regions. There's different species, and, and uh, yeah, it, it's a great pairing. And sometimes coffee's a little too overpowering. So the article does an excellent job at Cigar Journal of actually breaking this down much deeper than we're going to break down. They did some testing with the tea and all that. And I do think that, that kind of in this this is a great article. This really kind of inspires me to look a little further into trying a few different teas. You know, I I like Tivana tea. I always go online and I order their maximum caffeine tea. Yeah. I mean, I I want so much caffeine in the tea that when I lay the bag of tea on the hood of my truck, the truck cranks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's how much caffeine I want in my tea. So you're not going for the all-natural stuff is what no, you're telling no, me. No, no, no. I, I, I want it to rev me up. By the time I've drunk a pot of it, I want to be bouncing off the walls. It's funny you say that because most of the tea that I drink is decaf. Because <clears throat> I don't find that... I find that decaf coffee is not good. It doesn't taste good. It's whatever... Um, but with decaf tea, I don't feel like you get that chemical flavor that you get with decaf Was coffee. there ever a time in your life you drank decaf coffee? No. Okay. I, I just wonder if you took somebody that was not a coffee drinker and you started them on decaf, if they would feel, if they would feel the inverse of how you feel, if maybe the, the more caffeinated coffee would have, they would miss that taste. Could be, although 
all of the people I know who are capable of drinking decaf coffee are the people who don't drink good coffee. They're the right. people that drink Maxwell House and Folgers. They can drink decaf coffee because they're, the coffee they're used to is weak and tastes like crap anyway. Sure. And also, okay, tell me about your prime pig. You know, I'm, I'm surprised that it made it to the end of the show. But I, I'm really digging it. And it paired well with the tea. The flavor's excellent. Yeah. I mean, the flavor is just out of this world. This is not a cigar that they said, okay, we need to make it a more, bigger ring gauge. Let's put a little more filler in it. They blended it to this flavor. You know, we complained about when they release a new cigar in a new shape but the same blend. Right. This is a more unique blend. I would love to have one of these about six inches long mm-hmm. that I could really enjoy. Is that the feral? Yeah. Is, it, is that the longer one? Yeah, I would like to have one of these in a feral flying pig shape. And, uh, and that would be absolutely wonderful. But, I mean, you know, this is this is the seven. For me, this is the seven. I've, I, and I've, I haven't handed out a seven in a while, but for me, this is the seven. Yeah, I, I think I prefer... I think I prefer the Toro, but this is—it's it, really close to knocking on the door of a seven. I mean, it is—it is phenomenal. It draws well. It's just—it's the shape doesn't do it for me. Right. Yeah. You know, they did an excellent job of making it work for this shape, but it doesn't fit my mouth well. I, it, it's uncomfortable in the hand. It's just—it's not what I would go to. Well, also, I've got my cigar pick with me, and I, I stuck my pig at about halfway through. Yeah, and I've got the, mine over there. I just haven't been able to reach for it while we've been recording. Yeah, that handled a lot of my manipulation issues. That took care of a lot of my manipulation issues of the now cigar. Now we've just got to work on the emotional manipulation issues you had. Well, well, th- those are here to stay. But anyway, all right, how do they get hold of us, Trey? You can reach us on facebook.com slash the cigarcast, email info at the cigarcast.com, and Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. Have a great cigar and thank all of us. <laughs>